so hello and welcome to episode four of Watch It Bro podcast. I am Tristan. And I'm Marshall. It's a pleasure to be back. Yes, and we are people. And I'm not going to come up with something stupid to say, even though I just did. <laughs> <laughs> this was a fun one. We are doing My Cousin Vinny. Uh, yeah, this uh, this was my choice. So I will be leading most of the conversation on this movie. Yes, you'll be taking us through the scene by scene, as it were. Uh, I will still be handling the movie information. Because I did not do it. Because you did not do it once again. So, let's just get right into it. We got My Cousin Vinny. It was released March 13th of 1992. Written by Dale Launer and directed by Jonathan Lynn. It stars Joe Pesci, Ralph Macchio, who is in fact 30 years old, playing a college student. There's some 30-year-old in college. He's supposed to be like 19, and he looks it. Uh, we got Marissa Tomei, Mitchell Whitfield, who you might remember as Barry Farber from Friends. We got Fred Gwynn in his final film role. He died in 1993, just a year after this movie came out. And he, if, if you watch TV Land at all or Nick at Night back in the day, you would know. He was also Herman Munster from The Munsters. And uh, we also have Lane Smith, who was Harry White in Lois and Clark, if you like Superman. Or he was also Coach Riley in The Mighty Ducks. Yes. Yes. You just took out a bunch of the stuff I was going to talk about. No. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that was my goal. It's like, I had notes. This is fun. But yes, it is a very... I don't know where I was going with that. There's a lot of people in it that you recognize from other things. Yes, there are. It was a fun movie. Uh, you said you hadn't watched it in about a year. Did you remember a lot of it going into it? I remembered some. And like the reason I hadn't watched this before, because I got it from after Cousin Steve passed away and Tim gave us all of his movies, I took my cousin Vinny. So I'm like, oh, I've never seen it. And I want to. And I thought, I had no idea it was comedy. Oh. So I was like, oh, I don't, I don't really want to watch a gangster movie. <laughs> That's like all Joe Pesci did was gangster movies throughout the '90s and Home Alone. And so I was like, oh, I'm not really in the mood for it. I don't really like that. I like comedies. I like to laugh. And then finally, you know, Rachel was like, you need to watch it. It's a good movie. It's funny. And I go, it's funny. She's like, yeah, honey, it's a comedy. I go, oh, okay, we gotta watch that then. <laughs> I thought it was just like a serious movie with funny parts, but she's like, no, this is a comedy, honey. It's funny a lot. Yeah, it's a rated R comedy, and watching it, if Joe Pesci didn't say the F word 130 or so times, it would be PG-13. I can't think of anything in here that would give it the R rating except the swearing in it. Yeah, the language language was rough. We try to not have... A bunch of swearing. That's the thing we're really working on in our house. So it was like, this is great. Can we can we stop? <laughs> <laughs> it's Joe Pesci. It's Joe Pesci. I get it. Maybe the cable version of this is for us. <laughs> so do you want to dive into it? Yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. All right. Opening scene. Go for it. Opening scene. And actually, I think this is the longest movie we've tackled so far at 120 minutes. Yes. Yeah, the other two... Three. How many movies have we done now? Three? Three. Have been about 87 to 90, I want to say. Yeah, I think about an, right around an hour and a half to an hour 45. Yeah, that's why my notes have jumped from 10 pages to 16. But we'll try not to make it feel longer. 
<laughs> well, so far, following suit, our discussion of your movies have ran shorter. Granted, it was just the one. <laughs> but, but both of mine, after editing, have clocked in at an hour 45, roughly, and Trevor's okay. is an hour 15. Okay. So we'll we'll see where this one lands. We start the movie off with our um, our two, I don't want to say leads, because they're the catalyst where Joe Pesci is the lead. So the two the the two college kids, Ralph Macchio and his friend, because <laughs> I can't remember the actor's name, Mitchell Whitfield. Moving forward, they will be known as Billy, who is Ralph Macchio, and Stan, who is Mitchell Whitfield. But they are road tripping it through the great South of America. Well, not South America. <laughs> the Deep South, the, the American South. And you're seeing a lot of the southern stuff, roadside stalls, farms, barns, small town feel, little gas stations as they uh, as they road trip through the credits and the opening song. What? Yes. That hubcap wall that you see yes. is beautiful. I, I love that. I believe there is walls like that in every state in the rural areas. <laughs> it's not just a southern thing. But I saw it, and I liked it. It was a very cool, I guess, decoration for the, the shed. It's as good a word as any. Yes. Billy and Stan, they, uh, they stop at the Sack of Suds, which is a uh, gas station and little convenience store. They start stocking up on food, getting items that they – snacks, basically. They're, they're, they're stocking up for, for their trip, and they're talking about tuna versus beans briefly about getting for protein, uh, but Ralph Mocio wants to get the tuna anyway. Um, so he grabs it, stuck it in his pocket because his hands are full. He's carrying it up to the, the register to pay, and they, they get all their items. The cash register is an old clicker style where you pull the lever and you, you click it, indicating it's not modern technology there. Well, he doesn't even fill up the guy's drink all the way. Billy's drink. <laughs> he like, gives, him, gives him half and hands it to him. And he's just like, can you fill that up, please? <laughs> So they, they pay and they go on their way. They're uh, driving down the road, and Billy realizes he's got the tuna in his pocket. He's like, oh, crap, I didn't pay for the tuna. Now I'm going to be the one interrupting you. They pay twenty one sixty seven for their groceries, and it takes place in 1991. I did the math. That would total to forty eight eighty five today. Okay. That, that's how much That's how much twenty one sixty seven back then would be worth today. However... Taking a quick glance at their groceries and what they got, I would actually guesstimate that what they got, and I don't know the prices in the South, though. So you're okay. also thinking, you know, they're in Wazoo, Alabama. Yeah, they're even talking about the, the prices. Is is this brand worth the, to the, the penny more than this brand? So comparatively to the state of Washington, I'm going to say, yeah, I guess we'll probably just leave it. They, they basically spent the equivalent of 50 bucks at a gas station getting snacks. Well, um, I don't know if I have this written in here, but we'll f we find out later that they left with 22 items. Yes, I was going to mention that. Yeah, they had 22 items. So figure 22 items, double that, like at $2 an item. A lot of yeah. those things are more than that. Chips alone are 6 bucks a bag. Yeah. So we, I can see it being well over closer to $60 maybe. Worth with, with 22 items, yeah. that's It's going to be quite a bit more than 40-something, than I'd say. Especially at a gas station. No, definitely. Okay, so they leave. Yeah, so they leave. He realizes he didn't. They're driving down the road. Billy realizes he didn't pay for the tuna. 
Billy's worried about it. Stan's not too fussed about it. And then they realize there's a cop following them. And then they realize they might be in trouble for shoplifting the tuna. And the lights go on. And they're getting pulled over. They're freaking out a little bit about, ah, crap, they, they were caught. They're going to get us for the tuna. So they pull over. The minimum age for the death penalty is 10 in the South. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the jokes were great. I'm going to throw them out there as we come on them, the ones that, that I remember. That is life. fair. There is a lot of them. But so as soon as they pull over, the cop jumps out of the car, shotgun out, cocks it, and yells at them to get out of the car and put their hands up. Show me your hands is what he yells. Show me your hands. And they think this is a little overkill, but they get out of the car, and we end up at the police station. And they're still thinking it's about the tuna. And they are separated at this point. They're each, they're each in separate rooms. It cuts briefly back to the, um, the sack of suds. And the cashier's dead on the floor, pile of blood. Cops are taking pictures, walking around, and the uh, the sheriff gets off the phone and says, looks like we might have a confession. And we find out the cashier's name is Jimmy. When one of the uh, the residents in the town's like, who shot Jimmy? Is Jimmy dead? I just wrote Jimmy. It's Jimmy Willis. That lady comes in with the bobby pin falling out of her hair. <laughs> and then it perfectly goes back to Ralph Macchio sitting very calmly in the chair being interrogated. Yes, he is in the chair being interrogated by Sheriff Farley. Who is a very familiar face. He is a familiar place. He's been in a lot of things. His name is, oh, I just had it, is Bruce McGill. He's in a lot of things, little cameo parts. One of the biggest things that I know him from or recognize him from is uh, he played D-Day in Animal House. Yeah, I was going to say he was in Black Sheep. Okay. That's the most recent thing I've seen him in. So you watched Black Sheep recently? A couple of years ago. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> You didn't get nostalgic after Tommy Boy? No. No. We, uh, Rachel and I have already watched Black Sheep together, and she's like, that was good. Go, oh, you want to watch it again? She goes, no. <laughs> I think it was more of like, oh, so, we, so we'll watch this again. And she went, oh, you can. So they're being interrogated. So the sheriff is interrogating Billy. Sheriff Farley thinks Billy's going to confess to killing Jimmy and the robbery. Billy's talking about, and Billy's just talking about taking the can of tuna. So Billy's like, yeah, sorry. Let's. Let me write a statement or something so we can get this taken care of as quickly as possible. He wants to. He's, he just wants to to move on. And no one's told him yet that it's a murder robbery situation. And then we cut to Stan being questioned, and they are talking about him being an accessory for what's going on. Why didn't he stop Billy from doing it? Hinting pretty aggressively that if Billy is found guilty, he will be getting the death penalty because he's over ten years old. <laughs> yes. So finally, we were, we're back with Billy, and the sheriff is, is like, okay, walk me through this. And Billy explains, and he's like, well, we're getting our stuff. I grabbed the tuna, stuck it in my pocket, we paid for the stuff, and I left. And he's like, well, when did you shoot the clerk? And Billy pauses for a second, like, I shot the clerk? What? I shot the clerk? Questioning what what the sheriff is saying, and then something happens, and the sheriff gets pulled out of the room. And, and Billy's Billy's freaking out, and he's, he's, he's pieced it together now that, that – there's something else going on here, and it's not just tuna anymore. Right. It, it suddenly clicks for him. It's like, no, no, you're being charged with murder right now. Yeah. Stan and Billy sitting on their little bench together, handcuffed together. Uh, Stan still thinks it's it's the tuna can, and Billy's explaining that no, it's actually murder robbery. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not being you're not an accessory to petty theft. No, you're you're an accessory to this other crime. Uh, but that's when they get their phone calls. So they get pulled back. And they're trying to think of who they could call. 
Dan says his parents aren't available to take calls, that they're they're out of the country or something. But he doesn't make a call. Billy's the one that calls uh, somebody, and he calls his mom. Of Ma. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yes. So talking to his mom, his mom, uh, his ma's saying that that. that they don't have money for a lawyer, but there, but they, there is a lawyer in the family, an attorney in the family, your cousin Vinny, which we got the name of the movie we can end now, right? Right. <laughs> I think every movie that we've done so far, they say the title of the movie in it. Probably. Tommy Boy. The only one I can think of maybe not is Tremors, but I, maybe the uh, Rhonda, the seismologist, may have said Tremors at some point when talking about the seismology equipment. Yeah. But we're really derailing fast on this one. <laughs> oh, that's that is that is fine. We 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 always derail a little bit. Sure, but we gotta. This is the longest movie by far. And if if what about Bob and Tommy Boy were almost two hours? How long is this gonna be? I'll kick it up a notch. Eh, let's just let it happen. I'll edit it around. Sounds good. Uh, so we cut to um, Vinny and his uh, his fiance uh, Mona Lisa, which they just call Lisa. They're driving into the small town. They got music blasting out. If I was better at this, I would have looked up the song. <laughs> Didn't even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. It is loud. Is it hip-hop music or more? I honestly couldn't even tell you. I, okay. I have no idea what was even. Anyway, they're getting right. a lot of looks from the people in this small town. Like, what's this? Who's this guy? They stop, and Vinny gets out of the car wearing all-black leather pants he's got some black cowboy boots on and at this point i noticed that his hair looks ridiculous when he gets out of the car when does it not there is sometimes it looks it looks a lot better than others it, it's depending on the wig day it looks like because sometimes it's just weird and curly sometimes it actually looks like it's been combed and adjusted it goes back and forth i thought it always looked ridiculous i didn't notice <laughs> one. <laughs> it looks more ridiculous than not we'll say but so they've stopped. Vinny's looking at the car. There's something wrong with it. He says it was wobbling, kind of shimmying when they were they're driving. Uh, Lisa gets out of the car, takes a couple pictures with a little camera she's got, and is telling them to, we need to get this thing on a lift to see what was going on with it, because uh, we find out that she knows a lot about cars. Vinny says it right then and there when the local comes up and says, hey, what's going on? It's like, it's shimmying a little bit. It's like, oh, that's the mud in the tires. And... Vinny's like, have you ever heard of mud in the tires, Lisa? It's like, no, that's weird. No, we got famous mud around here. It gets up in the wheel wells and kind of makes the tire shimmy. Yeah, I like how I do explain the turn of phrase. Yeah, and they they just kind of all look at each other like, well, don't believe me, and he walks away. Yeah, it didn't really solve anything there. Nope, it didn't solve anything. Lisa's hoping that there's a Chinese place in town that they should get food at. Uh, she mentions that a few times throughout their stay. Vinny has now made it to... Small town Alabama. We then cut to a prison bus, taking Billy and Stan, going to the state correctional facility where they will be held until their trial and through the trial. Would they put them in the same cell together? I'm inclined to think no. Probably not, but they are put in the same cell together. And they briefly talk about the uh, what it's like to be in a prison, the, the hypothetical Bubba that will be in prison, the biggest guy there that you need to be friends with or give favors to in order to be protected. <laughs> that's, about the, that's probably the PG way to put that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying here. <laughs> uh, it's family-friendly show. But Vinny shows up to meet them at the prison, where he has his first 
conversation with the two kids he's going to be representing in, in court. Billy's asleep at this time. Once they got in the cell, he kind of crawled up to take a nap. Stan's awake. Vinny's just like, okay, I'll start with you. We'll let him sleep. Stan is under the impression that Vinny is the Bubba of the prison. That this is all going to lead to favors being exchanged to to Vinny or the Bubba, <laughs> and that Stan should be grateful for it and be happy. When when Stan protests a bit, is uh, Vinny's like, fine, forget you. I'm going to talk to talk to to Billy, and Billy's like, hey, cousin. And Stan's like, "Oh, that was a that was a mistake on my part." <laughs> yes, it was. I, I have it written down in my notes. Is they have a very <laughs> um, comical misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I I laughed harder at that than I thought it was. It, yeah, it was. It was written. <laughs> it was written very well. So um, after those brief introductions, they get taken to the. I guess it's a visitors' room. Uh, where's the table? They got the two. Um, Got Billy and Stan on one side, their their cuffs on. You got Vinny on the other side, talking to them. And we find out that Vinny has been a lawyer for six weeks. He just passed the bar. He has been out of school for six years, and during that time, he was studying for the bar, which he has taken six times and passed once. Six times the charm. He has not been in court. He has not been in trial. So this is his first his first go. Right. He's a slip and fall lawyer akin to Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. I'll say Troy McClure, but He's Troy McClure. Like I like that better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, every everything he's done so far has been, hey, this this happened, let's settle out and it's he's done a few of those settles over the last couple of weeks as a as a lawyer, but nothing nothing gone to trial yet. Stan and Billy are not confident. At this point I'm not confident. That's fair. As a watcher. This is when Vinny gets to meet the judge. And he is, I mean, if you've ever seen the monsters or, or know who. Um... So I actually looked this up and uh, Joe Pesci stands at five foot four. And okay. Fred Gwynn stands at six foot six. Okay. So, so yes, the, the judge is a big man. He's a big man in general. And then yes. put him next to Joe Pesci and you got. You got a height difference of 14 inches between the two of them. And proportionately, I mean, you can just see Fred Gwynn's massive head. (laughs) (laughs) You you chose to call him out for having a massive head? He played a Frankenstein's monster-esque kind of monster on the monsters because he had a large octopus. Octagonal, not octagonal, but <laughs> oblong head. <laughs> big head, big head, big head. <laughs> Got my Chandler quote in there. But he is, um, he's meeting the judge to be approved to practice law in this state and do this trial because he's a New York attorney. Right away, the judge does not like the way he's dressed, and Vinny lies about how long he's been a lawyer and his cases. Saying that he's dealt with murder cases before, that he got off the first guy that was arrested for the son of Sam. He's like, have you heard of son of Sam? It's like, you got that guy? You got that guy? I got the first guy they arrested off. He says, my most recent was an axe murder. Got him off on temporary insanity. You want the details of the case? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> he's like, no. But the judge right away is, it, it seems he's got something to prove too. 
to this New York lawyer that the South is not we're, – we're not hillbillies. We have laws. We follow the laws. It's just as much uh, civilization here as it is New York in a big city and gives him the law book for, I'm guessing, Alabama and says, read up and get out, but you're approved. So we cut to Vinny and Lisa getting their motel. General Putnam's motel. I forgot to look up who that was. <laughs> Just a motel. <laughs> I, I was like, General Putnam, that's probably funny. I'm going to look that up later. Never did. <laughs> we, we can look up everything in these movies. Some of it just have to go by. Okay, it's not that funny. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was that was worth the 45 seconds. <laughs> I just hope we stay quiet long enough to where I don't have to just like edit that down. <laughs> Keep the silence in there so they know. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? But yeah, he was General Putnam. Civil War guy. That's what I thought. <laughs> it's not funny, but... <laughs> it's funny because we're taking so much time on something so anticlimactic. This will be our first two-hour one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I, I'm like, oh, I'm sure there's a joke there, and it's funny. Look it up. Not a joke there. Some Civil War general. From the South, which makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> My assumption was correct. <laughs> Didn't need to waste those two minutes. <laughs> if you're enjoying this banter back and forth, feel free to contact us at watchabropodcast at gmail.com. I love how we always throw them in randomly, not at the beginning or the end, but somewhere in the middle. It's like, here's how you contact us. Also, spoiler warning. Yeah, right. But uh, on our What About Bob episode, I had to edit out all of my Twitter plugs because I got her handle wrong. <laughs> Did you re-record it and stick them in? Nope, didn't want to do all that work. Just took them out. <laughs> Let's see. We are at the, uh, the the motel. What was it again? The General Putnam. The General Putnam Motel. Uh, motel with an M. But Vinny's, uh, Vinny's studying late at night until I think it, the, the clock says three-something before he shows him in bed. And then you get a loud whistle just ringing throughout the town, basically, about 5.30 a.m. that wakes them up, so they end up going to a diner for breakfast. They ask the, uh, the man behind the counter, what's the deal with the whistle? And he says, it's for the sawmill. Let people know when to get up. It works. Yep. So they look at the the menu and they decide to get breakfast, uh, two breakfasts, which is one ninety nine each. And they show the menu and it says breakfast one ninety nine, lunch ninety nine cents, and dinner two ninety nine. I loved this bit. I thought it was great because they're sitting there and they're looking, and she's like, "You think breakfast?" He goes, "You think?" And then it shows, yeah, breakfast one ninety nine, lunch two forty nine, and dinner three forty nine. Ah, I paused it. That's good. I, I just made it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I paused it and I wrote down what they were. One well, I, I knew what breakfast was. I, did, I didn't. And judging for inflation, <laughs> two and a half times. <laughs> oh, you, you at two and a half times. So, so this, this breakfast, because that's what it's called, breakfast. It, there's nothing else to it. It's great. It's, let's make call it $2. So two and a half. So breakfast is five. That's still not bad. 
five yeah, bucks. But you can't get the five dollar breakfast anywhere. No, no, this is a deal. Your inflation math long. is wrong. Okay, so the, I'm basing my inflation math based on the dollar value. So oh, okay, the buying, the buying power of a dollar. Don't so it's off. No, I did the Google. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we're we are going off the rails a lot on this one, and you've got a lot of information. Oh, it's fun. I, I, I love this. This was great. But no, the buying power of a dollar in 1991 compared to today is the difference between uh, it's 248 percent. So that's roughly two and a half times value. So a dollar has the same. So one dollar would have the same buying power as two dollars and fifty cents does today. Let's see. Does that translate to gas? No. <laughs> no. This is this is this is merely. This isn't like inflation for everything else. This is specifically like you go somewhere, so you go somewhere and you pay a dollar ninety nine for breakfast. That would be like you going somewhere today and paying five dollars for breakfast. Welcome to economics with Marshall and Tristan. I looked at the Google. <laughs> <laughs> breakfast shows up. Before that, because I, I have this in my notes, is that is a massive scoop of lard he throws down <laughs> on the grill. Yes, he, he throws a massive scoop of lard on the grill. Vinny asks him if he knows about the, the American cholesterol crisis, and he does not comment and just keeps cooking. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, how could I gloss over the lard? <laughs> I don't know. So like, <laughs> breakfast. Yes, the breakfast shows up. It is two fried eggs, a couple strips of bacon, and grits. Vinny and Lisa have never had grits before. They ask him what grits is. He says it's made from corn. They said they're hominy grits, and they talk about grits briefly, and then Vinny tries them. They talk about grits because Vinny is reluctant to eat the grits. And so he's stalling. But he still tries them. He does. We don't know whether he likes them or not after he tries them. He puts it in his mouth, and we cut to the courtroom. Yes, we do. To a bailiff with a very, very nice mustache. Yes. Uh, we, this is where we meet uh, Jim the DA. I really should have put his last name in here instead of just Jim, but I called him Jim the whole time. Jim Trotter the third. DA for... What county? I was looking that up. Starts with a B. Do you know what it is? No, I start with the B. That's all I remember. Okay. I'm going to look it up, though. Beaumont, Alabama. That is not accurate. Beaumont, Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first B name I thought of. I want the Mr. Beaumont. <laughs> it's my second friend's reference of the episode. <laughs> anyway, Jim Trotter III, the DA for Beecham County, Alabama. This is Lane Smith's character from Mighty Ducks, as we mentioned before. No, he's the actor. The... He's the... <laughs> <laughs> he is the actor who was in Mighty Ducks. We're in the courtroom. The DA comes in, puts his briefcase down, starts getting things out, get his papers out. Uh, Vinny copies him. He looks over, sees him putting stuff on the table, so he puts his little bag on the table, pulls out a, a legal pad, puts his little case back together, and puts it as a side, as the DA does with his briefcase. Billy and Stan come in. They are sitting at the table with Vinny. And then the judge enters and asks, I mean, the, the, it's the courtroom scene. The bailiff says, all rise for the honorable judge. Judge comes in. They all be seated. Judge looks at him and says, how do you plead? Or how do your clients plead? 
Vinny starts trying to explain what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I wrote in my notes, not off to a good start. No, not off to a good start. He's trying to explain that they thought they were being arrested for stealing a can of tuna. The judge stops him and says, I just want to know how they plead, guilty or not guilty. Vinny starts talking again, trying to explain. He's like, wait, I need you to tell me. Do they plead guilty or not guilty? Vinny again starts talking, and, and he's, he's stopped once again by the judge and says he's going to hold him in contempt of court if the next words out of his mouth are not guilty or not guilty, to which Vinny says, okay, I get it. <laughs> and he says, no, I don't think you do. You are in contempt of court now, to which Vinny says, not guilty, and goes back and sits down. Bail is set for Billy and Stan at $250,000, and... Vinny's bail is set for $200. This is where we go to Vinny sitting on the bus with Stan and Billy on the way to the prison. And because we watch it with uh, closed caption on. Yes. Vinny is actually whistling Dixie. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> so, yeah, Vinny's on the bus with them headed to the prison because... He's held in contempt. That's where he goes. Billy and Stan share a glance. They don't seem very impressed at all at this moment. We end up at the prison. Vinny gets bailed out by Lisa. And on their way out to the car, they, uh, they're talking about the, the trial, talking about how Vinny doesn't have the process yet. He's still learning because he's, he's a brand new lawyer. He's supposed to watch cases and learn by being hired by attorney's office. So he's... He's just saying, hey, I'm learning the procedures. I'm learning this as I go along. He doesn't know the um, what's going on. Hmm? Correct protocol. Yes, the correct protocol. We find out Lisa cashed all their traveler's checks to, to, to bail them out. They don't have a lot of money left. And she got hustled. In, she, got, uh, she got stiffed in the game of pool that she won against a guy named JT. He owed her $200. She didn't get paid. And now they are lacking a lot of funds. But they go to the bar to get the money from JT. Did you see the sign outside? I did not. The sign says pool and chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good place to go for some pool and chicken. That, that'll that come up again. I'll, I'll be talking about that again in just a minute. Okay, that's good. <laughs> but they go to the bar. Vinny confronts JT, and JT just says, I'm going to kick your, kick your butt. Okay, you passed the spot. So they go in there, the record scratches, everyone stops and looks at him, and they see, she points to JT, so you see JT and then the guy next to him that just full-on one bites a friggin' drumstick. (laughs) (laughs) In my notes, that's not how you eat a drumstick. I'm sure some people eat them like that. (laughs) Nobody! (laughs) No! He eats a whole drumstick in one bite. I'm guessing he eats chicken there a lot. And has had practiced. It's just yucky. <laughs> so yeah, Vinny, Vinny, finally, Vinny confronts JT and says that you owe Lisa some money, $200, and JT says, I'm going to kick your butt. And Vinny goes into lawyer mode and offers a counterproposal that if he kicks TJ's butt, JT's butt, then does he get the money? Yeah, it was great negotiation. They banter back and forth a little bit, negotiate, and the terms are as such. JT kicks Vinny's butt and keeps the money. Vinny kicks JT's butt and gets the money. But Vinny wants to see the money first because he doesn't think JT has it. And JT says he has it. It was a show to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, he wants to see the money, and he's like, well, I can get it. 
like, okay, you can get it. And then they, they leave the bar. And as they're leaving, he sees a guy standing with a neck brace on. He's like, what happened to you? He's like, I fell. He's like, did you fall at work or is it at, at home or somebody else's house? Trying to, to <laughs> see if he can get a new client. Yeah. He's like, oh, I fell at home. He's like, ah, grumbles a little bit and heads out. We get cut, cuts back to uh, Stan and Billy talking about Vinny having an argument. Billy says they need to give him time, give him a chance that he'll do good. And Stan's like, all, all right, fine. We'll, we'll give him a chance. We'll see. We'll see how he does. It's wasn't a great first showing, but we'll we'll give him a chance. Back to the the hotel, we get Vinny and Lisa arguing about a leaky faucet in the bathroom. Which, I mean, it's it's a it's a cute scene that shows their relationship. The the banter they have, her talking about how she fixed it with a wrench. The faucet must be broken, and he's like, "Well, I'm here. I'm hearing it. You must not have done it all the way, and it's just a broken faucet." And it leads to them having some whoopee. I was going to say that was their <laughs> foreplay. <laughs> and we could have just left it at that. But no, let's, let's stick with Whoopi. You know, I, I'm going to keep that in. <laughs> so... Hey, it, it is a acceptable term from the 60s and 70s on game shows. Yes. <laughs> Nowadays, they just say intimacy. It leads to intimacy. Oh, yeah. Intimacy. That is a good one. Yeah. So it cuts for the night. And we move to the courtroom again and this is where we get i think this is the arraignment where they decide where they're actually going to go to trial based on what the witnesses are saying so first on the stand is mrs riley and an older woman and she said she heard the gunshot saw the two boys billy and stan run out of the convenience store jump into the car and drive off next we go to mr tipton who's on the stand and he said he was making breakfast and a little bit later, he heard the gunshot, looked out the window, and saw Billy and Stan drive off in their car. Next, we go to Mr. Crane. I was on the stand and said he saw them jump into the car, speed away, swerving all over the road. But then we see uh, Sheriff Farley on the stand. He reads a statement of Billy saying, I shot the clerk. All these four people that have been on the stand have had the DA talking to them. Not a lot, just standing there like, and then this? And like, yeah, this thing. So we cut to the judge who says the trial is set for next Monday at 10 a.m. Or this, this coming Monday, so over the weekend, basically, they have. It's, it's like four to three days away. At 10 a.m., the judge holds Vinny in contempt of court again because he did not dress properly for court. Like he had mentioned that he needs to, since he didn't like his clothes, he has to dress appropriately for court. And he's like, you were serious about that? So we're back on the bus, and Vinny's sitting there with Stan and Billy. And Stan's like, you didn't ask them any questions. What, 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 what are you doing to us? This, we could have avoided trial if you had done your job. He's like, we're in the South. We're New Yorkers. This was going to go to trial no matter what. Vinny's still getting his footing, so he's just brushing stuff off at this moment. So Lisa bails Vinny out again, still talking about learning the, the, the procedures and the, uh, the protocols. But they do get a new place to stay. The, big, the, the, the 530 whistle was not doing it for for Vinny. I mean, he was up reading till two to three in the morning most the last couple nights. Whistle waking him up at five. He's not getting good. He hasn't got good sleep. So they got a uh, got a new place to stay inside the hotel. Vinny confesses to Lisa that he's he's nervous. He's scared. He's, he's this is this is this is big. I mean, his 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 cousin could get put get executed because of this. This is a huge trial. He's not exactly sure what he's doing, but he's trying to piece it together. He's just Flying by the suit of his pants. <laughs> yeah, flying by the suit of his pants and sleep-deprived. And gone to jail twice. 
then around five-ish in the morning, there's a bunch of pigs next door being wrangled up into a big truck to be taken probably to slaughter. Vinny's standing on the balcony looking at it, and he's he's just, just fed up, and he's up for the day. So, new hotel, not another good night's sleep. We cut to Stan and Billy, who have been talking. Stan convinced Billy to talk to the public defender after the last two court interactions with where Vinny's had to, where they've got to witness Vinny working. They've decided that they're going to talk to the public defender, Mr. Gibbons. Stan meets with him without even seeing Vinny that day. What? Right. And has Mr. Gibbons been in anything? Uh, I recognized him from Short Circuit. Really? Yes. When was the last time you saw Short Circuit? Yes, I'm derailing right now. A few years ago? But he worked for Nova. Anybody who recognizes Short Circuit. Anyway. So, yeah. So so Stan meets with the public defender, not even seeing Vinny that day. Billy goes and says, hey, we're going to go with this public defender. Sorry, you're not cutting it. And Vinny, Vinny tries to convince Billy to stay with, with him and talking about how their case, the, 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 whole, the whole thing that the defense is doing is building a case. And they got to build their case one brick at a time. They got to get these bricks of evidence that look perfect and look shiny. But if you look at them at the right way, they're paper thin because you guys are innocent. If, if you just hit these bricks right, they're going to collapse down because they don't have the foundation of, of the actual truth being there behind, behind it. So that kind of makes Billy be like, oh, you, you do kind of know what you're talking about. You, you, you've you got our best interest at heart. And he's like, hey, just just let me talk to the first witness. And if you don't like me after that, then you can send me on my way. I'll go happy and let you talk, use the uh, public defender. So Stan, Stan and Billy reunite back in their cell where where Billy says he's going to give Vinny one more chance to, to talk to witness. And Stan's like, you, you got to be crazy. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's brand new. And he's, he's, Billy's like, family wedding we had where one of the entertainers was uh, Alakazam, a magician. And Vinny was just, every time the guy did something, Vinny's like, it's in your pocket. He's palming it. It's under, there's a mirror under the table, just picking up every little thing. And, and he's like, we just need to give Vinny a chance to get going, and, and he, can, he can do this for us. Awful thing to do to a magician. <laughs> <laughs> you, you hire this guy for the wedding, and Cousin Vinny is there like wrecking every single trick. <laughs> yeah, there's a spring in the middle. The thing came apart, and now you're putting it back together. <laughs> yes, to, to, to do that to a magician, it's not great. But Billy made the point that it just let's, let's, let's give him this last chance to examine one of the witnesses and, and see where we can go from there. Vinny heads back to collect the two hundred dollars from JT. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I wasn't sure if like he went back to go get the money from him, or if he just like was on his way somewhere and just happened to run into him. I it it could be he was just stopping on the way back to the hotel. He he goes to get the money from JT. JT bluffs that he has the money, and Vinny's like, eh, I don't believe you, and, and leaves. Yeah, he's got a ball. He goes, How do I know that's not just a, a ball of ones with a twenty wrapped around it? Fan it out for me. He's ah. <laughs> Yeah, JT, JT uh, kind of stomps away, and Vinny just leaves um, and heads back to the hotel, new hotel, away from the pigs, to read more of the law book. He's up late reading it. I think it's two thirty or three o'clock on the on, on the clock when he finally lies down and goes to sleep. And then, and then I commented on this because he gets up and like Lisa's asleep facing him, and he shuts the light off, and then he basically lays down on top of her head. <laughs> to go to sleep and i'm like rachel and i we cuddle right we're cuddlers but that's a bit much 
<laughs> he's a tiny man. He's on her. They're <laughs> facing each other and their heads. He's using her head as a pillow. <laughs> okay, anyway. And then about five o'clock, there's a train rolling by the hotel. Wakes him up, knocks dishes over. It, it's a bad experience that they can't sleep through. Another another night of Vinny not getting much sleep. Vinny and the DA later that day meet up to discuss the case, uh, have a conversation about why they're doing what they're doing. Real quick, to stop you and to go back, as they're leaving, he meets with the clerk and says, there's a train coming through at 5 o'clock in the morning. And the hotel guy is like, oh, that's very unusual for that train to come through at 5 o'clock in the morning. Yes. Yes, the the clerk does. Yes, the clerk says that, and Vinny's like, "Okay, thank you." I he just he just had to know. And this is when he goes to meet the DA, where they discuss the case, but they have a conversation about why they're lawyers, why they're doing what they're doing. And the DA Jim talks about how he used to make a lot of money defending scumbags and low lives, getting them off. But he built a conscience, and he feels a lot better at night. He's not making the money he used to, but he's helping get innocent people off as this different type of lawyer. Or making sure the bad people are in jail. He's putting the guilty behind bars. Yeah, he's he's doing the right thing versus trying to get get these people out of jail that really should be in jail. And then Vinny talks about why he's a lawyer, uh, how he became a lawyer, that he uh, got a uh, a BS speeding ticket or a traffic violation ticket that he he knew was was nothing. So he got the cop on the stand and it just berated him with questions until the cop said, "Fine, fine, you're right. I I was wrong. I was just." writing you up for something that you really didn't do. And the whole time, the the judge that was proceeding over this kind of laughing and chuckling and, and liked Vinny's moxie and took him out to lunch and talked him into being a lawyer, going to school. And, and Judge uh, Malaroy was the one that, that convinced him to, to be a lawyer. And 10 years later, he, he passed the bar and <laughs> was a lawyer. He, he got there. The DA says he feels good about the case, but wishes there was a murder weapon. And then he invites Vinny to go hunting. And Vinny sees this as a great opportunity to get some information from Jim about their case. So he's uh, talking with Lisa's like, you know, the, the, the DA, he, he just won't give me the information. I got to coax out of him. You know, I got to uh, butter him up, see if he'll give me any hints, see what, the, see what they, they have, what they know. And Lisa's like, so you're going to go hunting and do this. You're going you're gonna to kill an animal. You're going to kill a deer. You're going to kill a rabbit. You, you can do this. And they have an argument about hunting and how... It's wrong to, to to hunt and how she doesn't think Vinny can kill a deer. And, and how would you feel about being a deer, drinking a water, and then getting half your face blown off? Yeah, she was really good in that little speech there. I mean, Marissa Tomei has been killing it the, the whole movie. Like, yeah. let's, let's be real. She's that character through and through. It's awesome. Yeah. So their argument just kind of ends. They go their separate ways. And we cut to Vinny in the truck with Jim headed to to go hunting. and. In, in the smoothest of fashion, Vinny's like, I would sure like to get a look at all your files. <laughs> just comes right out. He just comes right out and say it. He doesn't butter him up or anything. But Jim picks up his car phone, which he has a car phone because he was a very well-paid lawyer and still is because he's a DA for the county. He he picks up his car phone, calls his secretary. He's like, hey, hey Vinny, do you got a scanner, copier you can you can use? And Vinny just kind of shakes his head. He's like, oh, no, don't worry about it. I'll have my secretary copy it over and get, get you the information. But you don't really see anything of this hunting trip. It just cuts to back to the hotel room, Vinny walking in with his big box of files from the DA's office. He's like, I got the files. 
<laughs> I did the thing. And meanwhile, she's reading his lawyer book. Yes, she's reading the law book. So he's bragging about getting the files, how he smoothed them over. He, he he did the thing, and she's like, oh, that's great. You know what? They have to give you the information. <laughs> it's called disclosure. You've got you talk you you can talk to the witnesses, and she just she's been reading the law book, so she's like, you get this information. They can give you the information. They can't hold it back from you. You can talk to the witnesses. You can go go to the the locations. It's <laughs> no, you're not allowed <laughs> any surprises. Right, not any surprises. They didn't teach you that in law school. <laughs> yeah, just dig it in. But to be fair, he did get access to the cabin. True. He's like, well, we. He said we could use his hunting cabin when he's done with his hunting trip for the weekend, because the trial starts Monday, so this is the weekend. So he didn't actually go hunting. Yeah, I guess he didn't just he didn't go hunting. He got the files like, oh, I got a prep. Sorry, <laughs> and, and bailed on the whole hunting thing. So, and at this point, Vinny goes to talk to the witnesses. These clips go by very briefly. It's just a few seconds. Vinny's talking to Mrs. Riley. He's like, how many levels of thickness have you gone through in the in, in your life? He's talking to Mr. Uh, Tippin. And he's like, so what did you have for breakfast? He's, he's um, hanging out with Mr. Crane briefly. He's like, what's all that brown stuff? And then takes a picture with, the, with uh, Lisa's little camera. And then we're back at the hotel. And the train goes by again at 5 a.m., waking him up. So he goes down and talks to the clerk, and he's like, you said this was uncommon for the train to come by at 5 a.m. He's like, yeah, it, it usually comes 10 after 4. <laughs> great gag. I saw it coming a mile away. And the first time I watched it, like Rachel didn't even remember. She's like, 5 o'clock, he lied to you. And I go, no, it usually comes at 4. <laughs> yeah. And then we get to that part, and I'm like, see, 10 after 4. I knew it. That was just kind of a lob. Great yeah. joke, though. It landed so good. Yeah. We cut to the DA picking jury members. This little old lady is like, well, I think I think the family members should get to pick how how people die for executions and, and that. And the DA is like, well, this was a convenience store robbery where they shot the clerk. Shot him in the back. Like cowards. Yes. And she's like, let him fry. And he's like, we'll take her. Yep. She'll do. <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting we're getting a uh, a jury stocked full of people that are are death penalty happy. Well, because throughout the whole thing, and I don't think we touched on this, uh, every time they go to the prison, we see people protesting the death penalty. So I don't know if that was a thing that was happening in the South around that time. Uh, it might be something that's just kind of always happening because I think I think the death penalty is still active in the South and people are trying to fight it against it. And the South's just like, no, no, we'll kill people. It's cool. <laughs> if you're from the South, let us know what you think. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You can cut that out. <laughs> no, every time we, uh, I plug our, our Twitter handle and always, and our, and our email, it always reminds me of that bit on home improvement where Tim says something not good. And then Al's right behind <laughs> and hold up the sign with the address. That's Tim Taylor, care of tool time. <laughs> box. Yeah. Vinny comes to meet with the judge. The judge was looking up his credentials and couldn't find him anywhere. And Vinny's like, of course you wouldn't find me anywhere. I got into acting a few years back. Uh, there was already a Vinny Gambino. So I changed my name. I legally changed my name to Jerry Gallo. So that is where you will find my records, not Vinny Gambini. <laughs> So he says his legal name is Jerry Gallo, but you can still call him Vinny. That's what he goes by. So Vinny's talking to Lisa about how that went with the judge, what was going on. He's like, yeah, Jerry's Jerry's this big lawyer. 
from New York. So if he looks it up, he'll he'll find all this good stuff about him because I, I saw his name in the paper. She's like, well, you didn't read that article, did you? Because he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we figure out they Vinny ain't reading much. No, no, we don't know. He he keeps looking at this book, and I don't know how much of it he's reading. The law book? Not a lot. Yeah, Lisa's knowing more than he. Of course, she's also probably sleeping while he's in trial. Probably. Anyway, this is the the night they head up to the the hunting cabin to get a good night's sleep and prepare for the case. Lisa is stressed about the case, and he's like, "Okay, what's 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 wrong?" And she just kind of goes after him a little bit. It's like. We're supposed to get married. You said we'd get married after you win your first case. It's been 10 years. We're still not married, and you don't know what you're doing. You're pooping the bed on this one. Shape up, basically. She's stressed about this. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. You're stressed. He comes back with a pretty reasonable retort about everything that's, that's bothering him, and she just kind of looks at him and goes, maybe it was a bad time to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, I get it. You're stressed, but I, I'm in this case. My cousin's on trial for murder. He's going to be executed if I don't do right. It's I haven't slept in five days. We keep getting woken up. I slept in five days. I got, I got some <laughs> local idiot trying to fight me for 200 bucks. <laughs> I really don't need this right now. Exactly. She's like, okay, probably a bad time to bring this up. But that's that's where her mind's at. His mind's on the trial, so they're arguing. Arguing is a big theme in this movie between them. And then I, I haven't talked on it too much, but during the conversations that Billy and Vinny have or Billy and Stan have, like, we're Gambinis. We argue. That's what we do. That's why he's a good lawyer. It's like, yeah, really? <laughs> I think I make the point of like of throwing out, I forget what he actually says, but he goes, oh, someone else I know is a, likes to argue too. It doesn't make, oh, my, my parents like to argue. That's like, they're great lawyers. And I think, <laughs> I think like, Billy retorts with, your parents are idiots. It's like, I've heard your parents argue. You've got nothing on us. <laughs> so they're trying to sleep in the cabin. They're lying down, and then something outside starts screaming. And I was going to say I was gonna say shrieking, but it's, it's, it's really like a scream. So Vinny runs over to the big gun cabinet on the wall, because it's a hunting cabin, grabs a pistol, loads it up, runs outside, and just starts shooting into the darkness. And you see this owl sitting up in the tree, way away from where he's shooting. He's just shooting to scare away whatever this thing is. Did you find it at all weird to see Joe Pesci uncomfortable with the gun? A little bit. (laughs) He's like, he's trying to close it right after loading the bullets into it. It's a six shooter. So he just runs outside, not aiming right. It's, it's, (laughs) but they go back in, the owl screams again, and they are, it cuts to Vinny and Lisa in their car in the middle of a field at, at nighttime. They left the cabin. They couldn't deal with that. So they think we'll sleep in the car. It'll be fine will be good. And then it starts to thunderstorm, which, okay, it's raining. That That's fine. It's not great sleep, but they're uncomfortable. But there's nothing screaming at them. But when they wake up, they find that the thunderstorm has caused their field to be a mud bowl. So their car is stuck. This is Monday morning, the day of the trial. So it's a rough morning for Vinny. They're trying, he's trying to get the car unstuck by getting some planks of wood out of the back, sticking them underneath the car, trying to dig a little bit out of the mud. And he whips out one of these two by four pieces, these pieces of wood, and this pink bag goes flying out and lands in the mud, and his suit is in the mud too. And he looks at it for a second, and he looks in the car. He's like, "Hey, Lisa, what was in that pink bag?" He's like, "Oh," and she's like, "Oh, it's your suit. I thought it'd be nice, so I got it dry clean." Which it, it was nice of her. Yes. <laughs> and and I like that he didn't yell at her about it. He didn't. Right. It was just it was something unfortunate that happened. She did something nice. He was not taking. He didn't take his anger out at her. No, he he was he was 
frustrated. There's no yelling back and forth about this because she did a nice thing and it just bad luck happened. Right. Yeah, and I, I feel like I, I liked that because I feel like there were there would be a lot of movies or shows that would have that be the start of a fight. And I like that it didn't like it's still like they argue and yell at each other, but Vinny's character and Vinny is still still has respect for her. He still loves her. He still is rational enough to understand the difference between hey we're having a disagreement and this is entirely a random fluke that's just right like, it's it's not like she stood out there and whipped his suit into the mud it was i got it dry cleaned and put for you and put it in the trunk so we had it when we were ready to go back and then it ended up in the mud so they finally get the car unstuck they make it into town and Vinny's like okay we have 30 minutes for me to get showered to get a new suit and to get to the courthouse and she's and lisa's like well i'll go get the suit and he's like, great, I'll go shower. So Vinny's walking across the street to go back to the, the hotel room that they still had. He sees JT standing there like, I got the money. He's waving it up, and he just jumps Fanned up. Fanned it out. Yeah, he fans it out for him, and Vinny just jumps up and clocks the guy, grabs the money. The guy with the broken the, the neck brace is standing next to, to JT, just looks at him, and Vinny goes on his way. Weirdest punch <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, JT is is a, a good foot taller than than Joe Pesci too. So he, you, you see Joe Pesci. I don't even know if it was Joe Pesci who did the stunt, but this guy just gets launched up, basically out of the out of the screen. Punching someone under the jaw like that at that angle, the way you'd come up for that, as sloppy and as weird as the punch looked. Yeah, that's that's a one hit KO if you're if you're landing it the way he did. Yeah, so he knocks him down, gets the two hundred dollars. Like, okay, things are going right. Lisa gets to the store that sells suits, and it's closed because of flu. The whole store. <laughs> the whole store. The The store's closed. She's looking around and sees a secondhand stop store across the street. She's like, well, okay. So she goes over there and gets a suit. So everybody's in the courtroom waiting. Benny's late. The, 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 the 30 minutes didn't equate to what he'd hoped. We don't get an idea of how late he is. I'm going to say 15 minutes, maybe 10, 10, 15. So he's got his he's got his new maroon tuxedo from the secondhand shop. It's a bellhop uniform. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> you can call it a bellhop uniform. It doesn't have the little hat. I don't think he would dare wear that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he he shows up in his little in, in his little suit. No, he he shows up, he goes kind of storms over. He's upset because he knows he's late and he's... He's done at this point. He is just over this string of bad luck. Yeah, he is not happy. And he sits down and the judge looks at him and says, are you on drugs? The back and forth between the two. Uh, he's like, are you mocking me with this suit? He's like, no. No, I'm not no. on... Here's what happened with this suit. On the mud, the whole store is sick with the flu, so you don't have you don't have a 24-hour dry, or an hour dry cleaner. The whole store at the suit shop had the flu, so that was those. So my only option was the leather jacket that I know you don't like, or this suit that we got at the secondhand store. And since I knew you didn't like that, I went with the suit. And then that's know, when he says, "Are you on drugs?" I'll hold you, I'm going to hold you in contempt. He goes, "Ah, what else is new?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or no, he goes, "There's a there's a surprise." <laughs> He's like, "What'd you say?" He's like, "What?" They go back and forth briefly, and, and the judge kind of drops it, but he's got he's he's got a grumpy look on his face. He's already he's, he's it's his third time going into contempt. Like, what more is the judge gonna do to him at this point? So the the, the DA presents the case of the evidence. He's like, the evidence will show that at nine thirty a.m. on January fourth, which I, I had no idea this was in January. I thought it was midsummer. <laughs> 
Uh, so did I, because at five o'clock in the morning, and when the steam thing goes off, it's bright as day through the window. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, gotta be summer. We had this conversation with what about Bob, didn't we? If you live in Alabama, can you tell us <laughs> what time the sun comes up during January? Uh, you can write in at watchitbropodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at watchitbropod. Thank you. Has anybody reached out yet? Are we done this yet? We don't have enough episodes out yet, do we? Not yet, no. <laughs> okay. So yeah, on January 4th, Stan and Billy were Stan and Billy were seen getting out of their green 1960 Buick Skylark convertible with a white top. They entered this, the, the sack of suds in Wazoo City. Just after they entered, there were gunshots heard by three eyewitnesses that saw the two defendants flee the sack of suds moments after the shots were heard. Uh, they jumped back into their car and drove away with great haste that they had admitted to and recanted shooting the clerk. They are taking the I shot the clerk question when they were getting questioned earlier as him saying he shot the clerk. So the D Jim, Jim, the DA talks about the truth and how the evidence is it's the jury's responsibility to see the truth and that Billy is being charged with murder and Stan is being charged for accessory to murder. And he knows the jury will do the right thing. He's got his good opening statements, a nice little speech. Everything was laid out and he goes and sits back down. Vinny is snapping. He's got his head kind of down and, and snoring softly, and, and Billy bumps him, and he gets he gets ready for his, his opening statements to where he, he walks over the jury and says, everything that guy said is BS. Thank you. <laughs> 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 and, and goes and sits back down. The judge tells the jury to disregard everything but the thank you. <laughs> <laughs> because that was not argumentative. Correct. And Stan, Stan's not impressed, calls him a putz. And then it is uh, Stan's public defender. Uh, so Stan didn't give Vinny the second chance. He went with the public defender and had him there where Billy's like, yeah, I'll give my cousin one more chance, which at this moment doesn't look good for Vinny. No, no. It looks like the public defender is going to be the one taking over. So the public defender goes up there, addresses the jury. And very confidently, I might very add. Conf a very confident walk, looks at them and starts stuttering, mumbling, getting tripped up over his words, kind of like how I do during this podcast. Similar. <laughs> um, but he is he's not doing well. He's having trouble articulating and keeps stuttering and not saying the right things or cutting himself off and, and saying, yep, that, that, yep. Today, Junior. But he, he gets his little speech out that says that the boys will innocent, are innocent, the evidence will prove that, and he goes back and sits down, and he's like – Stan's like, what was that? He's like, I'm, I'm sorry. I get a little nervous. He's like, a little nervous? What about all the stuff we talked about? It's like, I'm working on it. That, that had me and Rachel just rolling. That was so – oh, my gosh. I think that was Rachel's favorite part of the movie. Yeah, she, um, she loved it. So we move on to questioning now at this point, right? Yes, this is where we get our first witness. This is this is Vinny's chance that that Billy's giving him to to examine the witness. It's Mr. Tipton, the guy who was making breakfast, and he says the same thing that he did in in the first thing that he was cooking breakfast. A few moments later, he heard gunshots and saw the boys run out, jump in the car, and drive off. Mr. Gibbons goes first, the uh, the the public defender. He goes to question Mr. Tipton and tries to get him on not wearing his glasses because he has glasses. He's like, you were not wearing your prescription glasses. You could not see these boys run out of there. And he's like, they're they're reading they're reading glasses. And this whole was just it was so good. It's like, oh, you say you were 50, 50 feet away. 
do you think that's close enough to positively ID someone? And he goes, I do. <laughs> you see him like, just the, the reaction of this guy, I'm like, oh, oh, I wasn't expecting that. And then, yeah, then he goes to the glasses. And then like, it's like, you weren't wearing your prescription glasses? Like, they're reading glasses. He's like, well, tell me the color of the defendant's eyes. And he kind of leans so, past him and is like, they're brown and hazel green. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, love the, I love the response after that, where he looks at him for a second, and then he like, almost in a scolding manner, with his finger out, goes, no more questions. <laughs> yeah. But he goes back and sits down, and then it's Vinny's turn. Mr. Tipton's still up on stage. <laughs> on, on stage? <laughs> Mr. Tipton is still at the stand. <laughs> oh. He's still on stage. He's still on stage. Mr. Tipton is still on the stand. Vinny goes up to him and talks to him about what he was doing. He was making breakfast. The whole scene, how it played out. The boy here, the shots. He saw the boys running out. And Vinny's like, so what What way were you facing them? Did you see them coming or going? He's like, they, they were walking towards me when they when they came to the, the convenience store. And as they were leaving, they were facing away from me. He's like, okay, so you had a better look at them when they were coming in, coming to the store from leaving. And he said, about how long before you started making your breakfast to when you saw them came? Like, oh, about five minutes because he, he started making his breakfast. Then he was... And he was eating breakfast when he saw them. And he's like, well, do you think it is possible from the time you started making your breakfast to the time you were eating your breakfast for the defendants, the Stan, uh, Stan and Billy, to go in, get their supplies, get back in the car, drive off, and then another similar car drive up, two more youths get out of the car, go into the convenience store, shoot the clerk, get in the car, and leave. He's like, no, no, there, that's not, not enough time. It's about five minutes. There's not enough time for that. It's like, okay, so what did you have for breakfast? And Mr. Mr. Tipson's like, well, any good Southern, I had grits. And he's like, did you have instant grits? Like, no self-respecting Southerner would have instant grits. You got to cook them on the stove. He's like, that makes sense. He didn't like grits either when he got, in town, got into town a few days ago, but he's been eating them. He likes them a little bit now. And he's like, so... Why did it take you five minutes to cook your grits when it takes the rest of the grits eating world 20 minutes to cook their grits? And there's a pause saying it's like 20 minutes is a lot more than five. And so you, you, how, how is it that you can cook grits in five minutes when everybody else can do it in 20? He's like, well, I guess I cook fast. He's like, you cook fast. Do the laws of physics change in your kitchen to allow water to enter a grit faster than anywhere else in the world? He asked the question again, is it possible another two guys with a similar car had come in? And it, it's, he's like, yes, it is. It's, it, it was probably longer than five minutes, and it's possible that that could have happened. And Joe Pesci's dialogue throughout all this is, is just phenomenal. His sarcastic, not just sarcastic, but his condescending tone is just, it's the, the, the subtle condescending comments that he makes throughout this whole part. It's just so good. Once once he gets the information, he's like, I'm done with this guy. And goes back to sit down. Stan looks over at Mr. Gibbons and says, you're fired. I choose this guy. So he wants Vinny representing him as well. And that's it for the day. Uh, Vinny's getting on the bus back to the prison and tells Lisa not to bail him out. It might be a better night's sleep than wherever they're going to end up that night. Optical flip, prison riot. Yeah, there's a prison riot. But Vinny's passed out asleep. Apparently the sounds of a prison riot sounds like New York City at night. I didn't even get that joke. <laughs> yeah, there's a prison riot going on, and he's he's out. He's he's enjoying the yelling, the screaming, the fighting, the the noises that are happening there. It's home. Yeah, apparently. New York is a prison. 
Got it. <laughs> if you disagree with that statement, feel free to write in it. <laughs> so the next day, Vinny has had a full night's sleep, and Mr. Crane is on the stand this time. Vinny's got a bunch of pictures in his hand. Oh, I loved this part. And from back earlier on when Vinny was visiting the witness, this is the guy he asked, what's all that brown stuff, and then took a picture. So he holds the pictures out for Mr. Crane. He's like, what all, what's all this brown stuff? He's like, oh, that, that's, uh, that's dirt. It's like, okay, that's, that's dirt on your window. And what are these rusted, grimy things? Like, those, those are my screens. He's like, okay, then what are these? Right outside your window between you and the Sacco Suds. He's like, well, those, those are trees. And what are these things that are on the trees? He pauses for a second and then looks at Vinny and says, leaves? Like, that's right. Shout him out when you know it. Yes, it's so good. <laughs> and it's okay. Shout him out when you know him. So good. And he's like, and then what What are these, These all these little things between the, the, the trees? It's like, those are bushes. Like, how many bushes you see there? Like, uh, about five. Oh, don't forget these two. Seven. Seven bushes. He's like, so through all the 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 brown stuff on the windows the grimy screens the trees and the leaves and the the bushes you could positively identify that it was these two boys or did you just see two people for about two seconds jump in a car and drive off that looked similar to their car he's like yeah i suppose that 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 could have happened he's like i'm done with this one and he goes back to sit down um this is when we get mrs riley back on the stand this whole court last courtroom scene is just I found to be the most comedic part of the of the movie. It's good, and it makes sense. It, it digs into the witness statements and what what people actually see versus what they think they see, and what can change in that. He's questioning Mrs. Riley. She's on the stand, not stage. She's on the stand, and he asks if she was wearing her glasses that day because she needs prescription glasses. And she's like, "Of course, I was wearing my glasses." He says, that, "Those are some big glasses. Were they always that big?" She's like, "Oh no, I've had to I've had to change the layers." every few years to, to get my vision better. He's like, maybe it's time for a change. Like, well, how many have you had? It's like, well, over 60 years, I guess I've had about 10 changes in prescription, basically. It's like, that's that's a lot. It's like, do you, do you think your current your current prescription is good or should we should we test that? About how far away were you from the sack of suds when you, when you saw the two, the two boys? Uh, she says, about 100 feet. Sure. Uh, so he grabs a tape measure, hands it to her, and... Starts walking down the courtroom, walks down the aisle, walks to the back. Like, okay, this is about 50 feet. How many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> and the judge is like, let the court show that he is holding two fingers. <laughs> He's like, judge, I'm, I'm doing something. <laughs> He's like, oh, sorry. Yeah. Again. Great bit. And he's like, okay, we're doing this again. How many fingers am I holding up? And he holds up two fingers again. And he says, only... Mrs. Riley answer this. How many fingers? She squints and looks for a second and says, four? And he walks back holding his two fingers like, it's two. And she's like, oh, I guess it's, I guess it's time for a new prescription. So he is, he is done with Mrs. Riley. It was a good day at court, and they're back at the hotel. And Vinny gets a call from the DA. And the DA is like, do you like surprises? Because I got a good one for you. He's like, I just got it now. I'll tell you in the morning. I just wanted to let you know something's coming your way. So he hangs up the phone, and he's asking Lisa about where the disclosure stuff is in the book so he can look it up and see what's go what, what he can say or respond to. Which I'm surprised that he hadn't looked it up prior to this point. So we get back to the courtroom, and there is an automotive expert from the FBI on the stand ready to testify about tire tracks. Vinny asks to approach the bench and asks for a 
a recess so he has time to properly prepare for this witness, get his own witness who can corroborate or repute what he's about to say in a very well thought out and reasonable objection to which the judge says overruled. Uh, and I believe Vinny's somehow wearing a suit at this point. Yes, yeah, they, they were able to get him a new suit because the, the flu was no longer at or, – or they were able to get the his original suit dry cleaned since they had a few more days. The FBI expert indicates that the tracks are from this specific tire. The rubber that they took from the track marks matched the tires on the vehicle that the boys were driving. So the, the tread matches, the size matches, the rubber matches. It, it's, it's a clear match that, that these tires made these marks. And before Vinny can talk to him to, to cross-examine, they break for lunch, where the judge says he would like to see Vinny in his chambers and says, you're a dead man. He's like, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? Uh, she's like, Jerry Gallo? He's like, yeah, Jerry Gallo's dead. He's like, I know. I just told you that. He's like, no, no. You said, you said Gallo with a G? Because he's looking up Jerry Gallo to verify who that yeah to verify that Vinny was who he said he was. He's like, no, no, no. I said Gallo with a C. And the judge is like, all right, fine. You're going to play this way. We're going to get to the bottom of this right now. So he picks up the phone to call New York, uh, his connection over there, and no one's there. He said they, that they will call back about three with the information. They'll call back about three, and they'll be able to get this sorted out. He's like, okay, so you have till three till we decide your fate, unless you miraculously solve this case in the next three hours. So it's lunchtime. Vinny gets to get lunch, so he's he's at a little cafe, looking over the notes, looking over the pictures, looking over everything. And Lisa comes in. He's like, "How can I help?" He's like, "You can't help." And she has gotten her pictures developed. She wants to show him the pictures, and he's 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 stressed. He's he's not in a great spot at the moment, and he he takes it on her. He's like, "Oh, you can you can help. I'm I'm sure your pictures have the answer to this." So he opens the pictures. He's looking through them. Like, oh, here's a shot of the tires from from outside the convenience store. And oh, here's here's the one that'll win the case for us. It's me in the shower, and she gets she gets upset and leaves. And he's he follows after. He's still frustrated. He's still still stressed out. He's half hearted sorry because he knows he was screwed up, but he's still got to focus. Uh, he goes back and sits down and is looking at the pictures, and he shuffles everything up, heads back to court because lunch is over. So the witness is on the stand, the, the guy from the FBI. Vinny's at the desk looking at the, looking at the pictures again, and Judge is like, you, you going to ask him anything? And, and Vinny sees something in the pictures. I don't know if he knows exactly what it is, but he sees something and asks for a five-minute recess. He, he's got to do something really quick, and he's, he's got to get his witness because his witness isn't there because he's supposed to – it's his turn to call witnesses. I think he knows exactly what he sees. Yeah, because because he's uh, he's he's worked at the garages too and knows a little bit about cars. Ooh, right, and he and he writes when he when he's going out there, he writes that note and hands it to the sheriff. Says, "Look this yes. up." Oh yeah, he knows exactly what's going on with that. He just can't say it himself. He asks for a five minute recess. The judge gives him three, and he writes a note and hands it to Sheriff Farley and says, "Can you?" Can you run this for me? He's like, do your own work. He's like, I've got three minutes. Please just just run this for me. And the, the sheriff's like, sure. And so he gets up and leaves and Vinny runs out and, and sees Lisa on the phone and says, I need you. We need you in there. I, I need your help. He kind of drags her away from the phone, drags her into the courtroom where he says that he is going to call her to the stand as a witness, as his expert witness on cars. The DA is like, I, how do we know this? she's an actual expert on cars? Where are her credentials? How, how, what? <laughs> so they, they ask her. She She's sworn in. 
The judge allows her to go up there. She's sworn in, and they start asking her questions to get her validity as a car expert. So they, they it's like, what makes you, what do you do? She And she says she's an out-of-work uh, stylist. And she's like, that that qualifies you to be an expert on cars? Like, no. She is still, she's still mad at Vinny. She's still just kind of mad. She's pretty flippant. And she's just, she just doesn't want to be there at the moment. But with some prodding, she's like, no, that, that's not what makes me an expert. She's like, well, what makes you an expert? She's like, well, my dad was a mechanic. His dad was a mechanic. My four brothers were mechanics. It's like, okay, your family's mechanics. Well, what makes you an expert? She's like, well, I was a mechanic too. And she's like, what did you do? And she talked about how she did oil changes, she re- rebuild transmissions, rebuild back ends, front ends. Did, is, and basically a mechanic too, working on these cars, which they're, Okay, but that doesn't – they get to the point where Vinny's saying we need to establish the validity of her knowledge of cars, not her ability to repair cars. So the DA asks her a question about the timing of a starter on a – what is that? A 1955 Chevy Bel Air, and what, what would the, the, the timing be set to? And she says it's a stupid question, and they go back and forth like, you can't answer the question. It's like, no, it's a dumb question. It's a trick question. I can't be answered. Like, what do you mean it's a trick question? It's like, well, the the 19, 1955 Bel Air did not have the ignition timing that he's asking for. That didn't come around until 1962, and that that part wasn't invented until wasn't put in cars until 1962. But it wasn't in the Bel Air until 1964, and that model had the had a timing of four degrees past past true or yeah. We're not car people. We're not car people. <laughs> I'm just trying to repeat what she said. <laughs> but she, yeah, she she called out the trick question, had dropped a bunch of knowledge about the car in question and when it actually had the timing. She made him look stupid. And he's like, "Okay, she she can she can testify. I'm happy with this." So, Vinny hands her the pictures of the 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 tire tracks, the the ones from the actual crime scene photos and the photos that they took that he wants to put into evidence because the photos that he took is a longer shot of the photos and kind of shows the tires going over a curb. And the DA is like, "Yeah, I, I'll I'll accept this in the into evidence that that he doesn't have a problem with it being being put in because it's he's looking at it, it's the same photo. It's, they know where it's at. That photo is the key because it shows that the tires." Stay level, stay true, and go over the curb at the same rate and continue on. He's asking her, so he hands her the pictures, like, could the boy's car have made these tire marks? And she looks at it for a second, and she's kind of like, just just looking at it because she doesn't know where he's going with this until she sees it. And she's like, no. And at that point, you can see she's starting to get into it. She knows something that is going to win this case, basically. She she gets to help. She gets to she, she gets to share her knowledge, and and if everything goes right, it should should go well. And so he's like, well, what about this photo is 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 wrong and and couldn't be made by this car? Well, this the boy's car, the Skylark, has a a fixed axle, and if it had gone over the curb like that, you would have seen tires on one of the sides going up on the edge, where it would have um, um could, physics. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we are not car people. She's spouted off a lot of a lot of car stuff. Yeah, I don't even remember it all. Oh. I didn't write it all down. It had independent rear suspension. Yeah, the the car that did it had a it had an independent suspension. So instead of the fixed axle, that that would re- that would account for the tires still being level instead of at an angle if it had the fixed tires, as well as the uh, post traction post traction feature, which in cars that have it, it allows 
or cars that don't have it, you start, you, you rev your car, you got one in the mud, you got one tire spinning and the other one not doing anything because they're just, they don't, they're, they're not, they don't have the post traction. Again, not car people. I don't know a lot about this. I'm not even sure those are the right words. But you know what? For assuming that you've watched the movie and seen it and are coming along with us. Yeah. And so you know what she said. One thing I didn't go over, which I don't know if I just missed it in the notes or just missed talking about it. Uh, when Vinny talked to the FBI expert on the stand, because he really had nothing to go on except the fact that the same tire. So the, the, the FBI expert made said that the tires on the boys' car had to have been the ones that made the tracks because of the treads and the the rubber match but those are also the most popular size and the most popular tire at the time so it, it said it's possible that another car with the most popular tire made those marks versus boys car but that's still circumstantial so now we're back at lisa saying that the the, the buick skylark doesn't have the post traction and it does it has the the fixed axle on the back but there were two cars that would use those type of tires that could have made those. One of them is a Corvette, which no one would confuse for a Skylark. But the other one was the, the 1963 Pontiac, which had the same, which, which was the same size as the Skylark, the same shape, the same build, and, and looks very similar. They're both, ba both, both made by the same company, and it also comes in the same mint green as the Skylark. Everybody's happy. Vinny, Vinny's happy that things things went well. All the information got out there, and then she gets to to leave the the stand. The DA doesn't have any questions for her, and then the sheriff shows up again. He he comes into the courtroom, and Vinny's like, "I call the sheriff," who is still under oath from earlier. So he goes he goes up to the stand and says that he had gotten a tip to check on a 1963 metallic mint green Pontiac um, to see if there was any stolen in the area. And he said that there is a report of two two suspects matching the description of the two defendants in a mint green 1963 Pontiac uh, with a white top that were arrested, and they were found with the gun, the murder weapon, in the car. So everybody looks at the DA. DA takes a breath and says, we'd like to drop all charges, and they win. Billy and Stan get to go free. Vinny is happy he won his first case. And he is trying to book it out of there as fast as he can. Oh, yeah. He's still got till three. Before the judge gets a chance to call New York, Lisa's pulling the car around. He's hustling to get out, and everybody's stopping him. Stan stops. and's like, sorry, I, I, I didn't believe in you. Billy's like, thanks for saving us. The, the, the sheriff's like, good job. And he's just getting thanked all the way down these steps, trying to get to the car. And there's the judge. He's like, I just want to shake your hand. Jerry Callow, very impressive, very impressive. And Vinny hops in the car. He's like, "Well, good to see you. I got, I got, a, I got things to do. Bye." And he's, he's still in a rush because he's not sure what's going on. But he didn't get, he didn't get arrested. He didn't get called out for not being Jerry Callow. And they're driving off, talking to Lisa. There's a record of uh, Jerry Callow. She's like, "Yeah, I called somebody to help out," which is who she was on the phone with when she got dragged into the courtroom. And it was Judge Malaroy, the the judge that got him into being a lawyer. He falsified <laughs> stuff. <laughs> They did all kinds of illegal. <laughs> <laughs> this judge lied for Vinny. There was falsification to be had. There were multiple felonies committed. But then they driving off talking about getting married. 
or if they should get married because he didn't really win his first case on his own. He needed help. And he was like, oh, well, maybe we'll get married this weekend. And she's like, this weekend? No, I want a big fancy wedding in a church. I'll plan this out. And he's like, oh, I thought spontaneous was romantic. She's like, no, a burp is spontaneous. Burp's not romantic. <laughs> so they're driving off arguing about the wedding that probably happened. Uh, that was the end of my notes. Was always got to argue. Yep. That was my cousin Vinny. That is. And go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. You go first. I was going to say, how did we go through the entirety of my cousin Vinny and not do one two Utes bit? <laughs> we you did know, not even mention two Utes. You tried and it just didn't work. Yeah. It 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 was yeah. I mean, it was a bit from the movie where with with his accent, he's trying to say youths, and it says Utes. Judge like, what's that word you're saying? What's a Ute? He goes, oh, I'm sorry, youths. And then and then he goes back to question. He goes, so you were there with the two defendants, and then side eyes the judge. Yeah, yeah, that was my cousin Vinny. Uh, yeah, that was my cousin Vinny. That is that was a fun movie. I, I really enjoyed it. It holds up. It is a typical movie of the 90s, but it's fun. Marissa Tomei is a joy to watch. I love Herman Munster. <laughs> Ralph Macchio is always good. <laughs> and you had the coach from the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. What, what more do you want in a movie? <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> or do you have anything to say? Do we do final thoughts? I can't remember. <laughs> we do final thoughts, yeah. Okay. So... That was, I've seen it three times now because I watched it. I watched it the first time a year ago with mom and dad and Rachel and, and all that. We put it on. So I'd never seen it before. And I liked it okay. And then I watched it last night and the night before. And I got to say, like, each time I watch it, I like it better. Yeah. It's like, I think once I realized that it was a comedy and what it was and, like, watched it with the intent to like it, I liked it a whole lot more. Yeah. Uh, language is rough. Th that <laughs> that definitely is kind of putting that kind of puts me off to like repeat watch it a lot. That I don't know. Did I? I don't know if we said this on the podcast or before we started recording. But if it if it didn't have like 130 f bombs in the movie, it would be PG 13. It's it's rated R for the language. That there's nothing else in there that's like gratuitous nudity or or violence. It's it's language. And it, it's it's not even anything bad language. It's just bad words. It's not like they they describe heinous acts or lascivious behavior. It's f this, f that. I'm Joe Pesci. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And basically, like if if you if you cleaned up the language, really, you could it could almost be a fun family movie. Well, the, except for the whole murder, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, it, it, it's it's. Murder happens in kid movies. Mufasa. Fair. Yeah. So it, yeah, it, it really could be a fun family movie <laughs> if the if the, I mean really if the language was better. There's no you know there there's no raunchy stuff in it. There's nothing like that. The only time you see anything there's just a little bit of blood from the the gas station clerk, and that's not even overly graphic. Yeah. I mean, and there's there's look look at Jaws. That's a PG movie. Still, they haven't updated it, and there's tons of blood in that. Yeah. As far as my cousin Finney goes. I'll probably I will I will watch it again in my life. I know that I would probably be more apt to watch it on cable, just to have the language be better, or if there's a way to watch it to where I'm not hearing the f word that many times in a row. But uh, I thought it was well, it was well written. The comedy in it was also well well written. Joe Pesci's deliveries on a lot of those subtle moments of just like and the ending 
witness statements and everything, how it all comes together, like this is how we're gonna win it, is is very satisfying. Like, oh, he got him there. Oh, he got him there. There's something else. Like, here's your wrench. Yeah. Oh, we we got over that wrench. The the payout at the end of the movie was earned, I think, by all the actors. It was it was very very earned. Marissa Tomei, wonderful job playing that character. We didn't say anything else Marissa Tomei was in. We just, it was, every, everybody else was like, they're in this, they're in this. This is Joe Pesci from Home Alone. Marissa Tomei is is Aunt May, the latest, the Tom Holland Spider-Verse. No, I was going to bring up something that she was actually in that I looked up. You got, you got a more uh, um, inflation trivia for us? So the lawyer in the beginning, they said it would cost between 50000 to 100000 if you put that, <laughs> <laughs> you can Google that yourself. We're not doing it for you. You can do your own math two and a half times. But yeah, so what's next? What's next? So I had a movie all picked out for like since we recorded What About Bob? Okay. And then last night when I'm watching my cousin Vinny, I'm looking at it and I realize. The movie I want is also about a lawyer and takes place mostly in court. <laughs> we can't do two movies like that back to back. Okay. I have to pick a different movie. And so I was thought about it for a while and I found, I picked a different movie. And then today at work, I decided Great Outdoors. Okay. The Great Outdoors. The Great Outdoors with John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. I think this is the first movie that we're doing that actually has a repeat cast member. Oh, I would wonder if anybody else from the movie's bit parts were in. Uh, we got Kevin Bacon in one, so we should be able to tie everybody from the movies into. <laughs> yeah, that will all eventually tie together within six movies. I think this is the first first uh, movie where we have a repeat actor. Dan Aykroyd, right? Dan Aykroyd, yes, because he was in Tommy Boy. Yes. Very cool. You trying to remember how to end it? I, yeah, I can't remember how we ended it. Thank you for coming with us on this adventure and breakdown of My Cousin Vinny. Our intro and outro music, as always, was done by Nihilor. That intro being Grace, that outro being Haven. If you would like to reach out to us, you can do that via Twitter, at WatchItBroPod, or you can reach out to us through our email, which is WatchItBroPodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to you joining us next time as we take a look at the great outdoors. And as always... Thank you for watching.